Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. All right, on a morning where we could uh, begin virtually anywhere, certainly we could begin with headline news. We're going we're gonna to begin where we must begin every single day, and that is in the Word of God, focused on Jesus, asking for God to send His Holy Spirit in fresh ways to move in and among us and through us. We're going to agree to cooperate with the Holy Spirit today as the Spirit animates our lives I mean, I'm going to say to the Spirit today, you know, I'm, I'm willing to yield to the ongoing work that you're doing in my life to bring me into greater conformity with who Christ is. That's my part of, um, of this ongoing sanctification process. Yes, I'm justified in, in Christ, and for that I am so grateful. If, if you don't know who Jesus is, if you don't acknowledge that he is who Scripture, who the Bible, who Jesus himself claimed to be. I'm going to ask you to consider again, to consider anew the question of who Jesus is. Jesus asked his disciples at one point, who do people say that I am? Now, certainly Jesus sort of already knew what the people out there in the world were saying, um, but this is a little bit of a of an opportunity to field from the disciples the range of answers out there in terms of people's opinions of Jesus. Well, we could do the same today. What are the opinions that people have around the world, around your dinner table, about Jesus? Who do people say that he is? Now, note that in that conversation, there were lots of answers offered. Um, Jesus never became defensive, and so we don't need to become defensive either when people even around our own dinner table do not yet respond to Jesus for who he is. I mean, one day, God promises, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we don't need to be defensive today. I mean, the day is coming when every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So in the same way that Jesus was not defensive when people responded to him as if he was someone or something other than or less than he claimed to be, you and I don't need to be defensive either. We do, however, bear the responsibility to share the good news of the gospel with everyone. But we have to know it. We have to know him in order to be able to share the gospel, to share Jesus with others. So when Jesus turns the question on his disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? Peter offers the answer, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus affirms the accuracy of Peter's confession. Jesus also says the only way that Peter came to know that saving truth was by God's revelation. Okay, works the same way today. It's our responsibility to present the truth. It's our responsibility to know Jesus and make him known. But everyone is going to have their own response. And, and people have lots of responses to Jesus, lots of responses to the Bible, and lots of responses to us. So theology matters. 
because if Jesus is right and there's only one way to the Father and it is through him, then it's not actually okay to just believe anything about Jesus. It's not okay to just believe anything about the Bible. It's not okay to just believe anything under the sun about heaven and hell. So every once in a while, we need to sort of take the public temperature of theology. So every two years, Ligonier surveys the state of theology in America. The president of Ligonier Bible College, Stephen Nichols, joins me next to tell us, well, what are the 2020 findings and what are the trends we're seeing over time? What is the state of theology in America? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Dr. Stephen Nichols. He is the president of Reformation Bible College, the chief, chief academic officer for Ligonier Ministries and the Ligonier Ministries teaching and a Ligonier Ministry teaching fellow. You can follow him on Twitter at Steve Nichols. Everything that uh, Steve and I are going to talk about today, you can actually um, read about for yourself. The website is thestateoftheology.com. Steve, welcome back. Yeah, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Wow, it's wonderful to talk with you again. Yeah, so you and I um, visited about the Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research partnered um, study surveying the state of theology. This is something you do on a regular basis. So tell us a little bit about um, the process and how you guys engage, and then we'll talk about what you found this this year. Sure. Well, you know, we're awash in in polls, aren't we? And Mm -hmm. they just seem to be confronting us all the time. And we thought, let's let's do a poll about what matters the most, and that's theology. So we started this back in 2014. We do it every two years. Uh, It's 35 questions. We partner with LifeWay Research. They have a sample of 3,000 people. A lot of these Gallup polls, you know, we hear about like 1,000. So all the demographics and, and the controls are baked into this, and we've got the 2020 results. And in the 2020 results, um, you know, the the questions related to, let's just start off with who is Jesus? You know, I feel like it's the most important question any of us is ever going to be asked to answer. How do we respond to Jesus, the reality of who he is and what he has done? Um, what What do you know, based on your survey, about what Americans say about who Jesus is? And then the the confusion even among those who identify as evangelical Christians. Yeah, you know, and you go back to that time of Jesus with the disciples, it really is the crucial question. And we had two questions that relate directly, or two statements rather, that relate directly to who Jesus is. And one of them said that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Now, that's pure heresy. Uh, So, Let's see how we did on that. And when you turn it to the general population, 55% of the American public affirms that statement. That is to say that the slight majority is, has, has a heretical view. What is worse is when we look inward at evangelicals and within the church. And this, this statistic is really alarming. 56% of evangelicals, so one more percent of evangelicals in the general population as an heretical view. 
And we put another statement very similar that just simply says, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. So it's a clear denial of the deity of Jesus Christ. And when we put that question to evangelicals, 32% agree with that statement. So just slightly under a third of evangelicals are denying the deity of Christ. And this gets truly uh, right to the heart of who Jesus is, which is right to the heart of the gospel. Yeah, if Jesus wasn't fully God, in addition to being fully human, then there's no way that his sacrifice was sufficient. There's no way that he could have accomplished on the cross what I'm counting on him to have accomplished, which is to utterly satisfy the wrath of God on my behalf. You're exactly right. And I think the thing we need to focus on here is I think sometimes when people hear theology, they might think, oh, that's, that's sort of peripheral or those are the sort of uh, minutia details that scholars get into. Well, when we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about the person of Christ. You can't get more central than that. And historically, Orthodox faith, Scripture itself affirms that Jesus is the God-man. And because he is the God-man, he makes that acceptable sacrifice on our behalf. And this is the only way that sinners can be reconciled to God, because of Christ, because of who he is, and because of what he has done. And if we get this question wrong, who is Jesus? then we get the gospel wrong, and we don't have a true gospel to proclaim to this world that is just in utter confusion, utter turmoil, and truly in desperate need of the gospel. So this is really important, and I hope we all just pay attention to this. I'm talking with Dr. Stephen Nichols from Ligonier Ministries um, and Reformation Bible College let's take a let's take a very brief break and then when we come back let's talk about the trends over time because i think that when um when people start to recognize the the current of this the direction of this the trajectory of of not only where we have been in the past but where we are rapidly headed in terms of um the the view of americans their theological understanding and practice related to the truth and the bible um and then, obviously, the ethics related to, let's say, life and marriage. Um, these are not insignificant percentages of the population that, we, that we're going to be talking about in terms of the depth of confusion uh, in the culture today. So we are talking about the state of theology, and we are doing so um, from a report that is aggregated every couple of years through a partnership between Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research. You can find everything that we're talking about today at thestateoftheology.com. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Stephen Nichols from Ligonier, you can find what we're talking about today at thestateoftheology.com, uh, .com, .org. I've lost that. I've, I'm not on that page. Be sure I've got them in the right place, Steve. It, it is .com. The <laughs> Thank you. 
All right. And we have a listener asking a great question. And so um, I want to direct people to positive resources as you and I continue our conversation today um, about these survey results and the trends um, that we're seeing in the United States. Um, people are also asking, OK, where do I actually go? Where can I turn for right theology? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, because, you know, the point of this is not to just sit back and say, oh, look how terrible things are. We really want this to be a teaching resource for the church. We want people to know their Bibles, know theology, and know what they believe. So two things. On the website itself, each statement has underneath it a little button that says true or false. And if you click on that, it brings up a paragraph or a couple sentences that take you right to biblical texts that relate to that key statement. So you can find for yourself what Scripture has to say about these things. Uh, so we, we want this to be a teaching tool. We want this to be a source for folks to get to say, hey, we've got work to do. Let's roll up our sleeves and let's study God's Word because this is really important. So, so I'd point them to that uh, on the website itself. I think that way um, they can begin this. That's uh, so great. Yeah, that's so great. Okay, let's talk about um, let's talk about some of the trends that you're seeing over time. Um, I thought that the uh, the trend related to uh, U.S. adults and their relationship to the truth, truth being relative, is religious belief a matter of personal opinion or is it about objective truth? I found it very interesting that um, more people today uh, view view truth as objective or at least religion as objectively discerned um, than than they did in 2018. You say here in um, in in some of the in some of the what, what are we calling this commentary about the um, about the survey? Um, maybe this is because we're in a cultural moment that's really prompted more people to turn to religion. Yeah, this this poll went into the field in March, and uh, it was just before mm. the lockdown. But it was still as things were circling the drain, and. We wonder if that uh, had an impact on that. I think related to it is a really interesting question that we had a little bit more. It was one statement that we had in 2014, 2016, 2018, and this year. So we've got four sets of data for this, and that's just simply the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. So this really gets to the heart of biblical authority. You know, either Scripture's true or it's not. And that number just slowly ticks up with each survey. It went mm. from 40, 41% in 2014 to 48% in 2020. So I think that's an important trend that we need to pay attention to, that, uh, you know, the, the idea of the good book in America, uh, when we skip beneath the surface there and ask, well, what do you really think about the Bible? You know, is it an authority? Uh, that's a crucial question. So that's a trend worth watching. There's another um, interesting uh, a statement, number 11. Everyone sins a little, but most people yeah. are good by nature. I, I, I thought that the responses to this, um, well, were staggering a couple of years ago. I had a hard time imagining that more than 50 percent of my evangelical brothers and sisters um, thought yeah. that, you know, it's just people are basically good and sin a little bit um, because that's not at all what Scripture teaches. But that number, that percentage among evangelicals is actually going 
down fewer than 50% now, 46% you found this year, um, uh, believe the idea or support the idea that people are good by nature. I think that might also be sort of evidence in the culture. Yes, I think you're right. We're seeing it. We're, we're, we're not this. Sometimes crises bring out the best in human nature, and sometimes they bring out the worst, and we're seeing it, right? Yeah, you, you focused in on the great questions. It, this, too, all gets at the heart of the gospel and our need for Christ. Uh, but this is, a, this is something for a sign of hope when we went from 54% to 46%. So we're headed in the right direction. Of course, to 46%, that's still bad uh, to not see us as sinners by nature um, and to see ourselves as that desperate need of the gospel. But this, there is a slight uh, glimmer of hope here as we look at this particular trend. So um, let me encourage listener Scott, who's asking this question. When you go to the stateoftheology.com, in addition to the key findings, which you can read, and then you can read the entire study if you want to, if you go to the Data Explorer and click on that, this might be a fun um, a fun thing to take your congregation or a small group through, maybe your leadership team, um, because it gives you a picture of, of how people across the country have responded. And then over in the little left-hand corner, it says, how would you answer? You can take the survey to your for yourself. Um, and, and then you'll have an opportunity to actually talk with your people, people that you're sitting right there with. Well, you know, gosh, lots of people across America say, you know, God can't be perfect um, because he makes mistakes or something like that. And, and you can actually have a conversation about where does, where does that idea come from and what does the Bible actually say? Well, then when we turn to what does the Bible actually say, we're going to be asking the question about why we should trust such a book. Is it just one book among many? Does it just conclude ancient myths? Is it contradictory with science? I mean, on and on and on. This is going to provide you opportunities to have the kinds of meaningful conversations you need to be having with the people in your congregation today um, and the people around your dinner table. For those of you who are parents, this is a great resource to sit down with your, um, with, you know, probably with your high school age kids and say, let's talk about what this survey discovered um, about people's opinions about these things. And let's talk about what what do you believe? It's because what I believe may or may not be what my kid believes right now um, in their own walk of faith. Yeah, I is that fair? Yeah, that's great. And I really appreciate that you walked us through that because that that, again, is what we want this to be. We really want this to be a teaching tool. And that uh, groups can create their own surveys. They can share the results. Uh, it can actually be something that I think is intriguing. We tried to make the website interesting and intriguing as you get on it. Um, so hopefully you all can get to it and find it to be helpful and just a helpful resource for you as you uh, grow in your knowledge of Scripture and grow in your knowledge of theology because there's nothing more important than that. Yeah, Dr. Nichols, I want you to um, to sort of offer the conclusion um, what do you feel like the 2020 State of Theology survey reveals? Yeah, I think it reveals we've got a lot of work to do. But there is one statement in there that I want to latch on to, and it is about evangelicals and their belief that the Bible is the highest authority for my life. Well, I want to challenge evangelicals. If we say that, then let's take that to heart. Uh, we need to read our Bibles. We need to study our Bibles. We need to know what we believe. Because, again, this world is in a desperate need of the gospel message of hope and truth and life in Jesus Christ. And that's the message that we need to proclaim. So I hope this helps and is a helpful resource for the church 
in her job of proclaiming Christ to the nations. Well, and that just gives us an opportunity to talk about uh, what the Bible is. It gives us, gives us the opportunity to talk about authority and various authorities in our life and how they're ordered, um, and really whether or not life is mine at all, or if it, in fact, belongs to God um, and is for him to use as an instrument as he chooses uh, through his sovereign grace. So, which is, you know, sort of where I'm living it out. All right, Dr. Stephen Nichols, what a joy. We love talking with you. We love what you're doing at Ligonier. Thank you so much for the State of Theology uh, survey and report. You guys can find it at thestateoftheology.com. Dr. Nichols, I hope you'll uh, you'll come back and talk with us again. It's a, it's a real pleasure. Absolutely. It was great. Really appreciate it. Love Have a great day. Yeah, yep, we'll be right too. back. Thanks. What in the world is going on in the world, and how are our Christian brothers and sisters faring around the globe? How are ministries responding in places far afield from here? We rely on Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News to bring us up to speed periodically on what's happening, and so she's going to join us in just a moment. We're going to talk about uh, headlines from Kenya, headlines from, uh, from China, from India, all kinds of things going on up next. Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. We'll be right back. So I think about uh, Tasty Tuesday or Tasted Sea Tuesday, and I think about Witness Wednesday. So let's talk a little bit about Witness Wednesday. Today is the day that you and I have the opportunity to bear witness to who Christ is, to what he has done, to the gospel, to the good news, to God's reconciling love, to the redemptive arc of human history. Like we have a, all of that opportunity. So I want to say thank you um, for those of you who you know dutifully participated prior to Fall Share by sharing your testimonies and your stories, your faith radio stories with us, because then we got to share those last week as a witness to others. So many of you responded um, by participating in Fall Share, uh, extending the gifts that God has placed within your reach and sharing them with this ministry that we might extend what we do to more and more people. And now I want you to pivot and I want you to consider that you still have a Fall Share opportunity because now I want you to pivot toward the world and be a missionary of the ministry by sharing it with others. So Fall Share continues. If you didn't have an opportunity to participate uh, financially last week and you want to, you just go to MyFaithRadio.com and give right there online. But everyone, everyone who's listening right now can be a missionary of the ministry by participating in a Fall Share of witnessing to others. So you walk into somebody's house, they have one of those Amazon Echo devices. You could actually say, enable Faith Radio. Listen to Mornings with Carmen. Guess what? It'll actually pop on. All right, there's, there are all kinds of ways for you to help maybe a friend who doesn't know how to download an app onto their phone, who's never listened to a podcast. You can help them do that. Help them find that Faith Radio app. It's purple if you're looking for it. Um, and, and help them subscribe to podcasts that they will enjoy. There's lots of, of program hours for them to choose from. And it will be an opportunity for you to be a missionary of the ministry to others. A totally different and wonderful way to participate in Fall Share. We'll be right back. 
Like you, I know many families who've experienced divorce and remarriage. I know kids who've been adopted, and I know kids who are still healing from a splintered relationship with mom or dad. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. If you have a blended family or perhaps one of your kids is adopted, it's important to remember that people don't heal overnight. A relational upheaval will create some scars on a child's heart that can't be ignored. It doesn't mean that blended families or adopted kids aren't a gift from God. They just take special care. Regardless of how good things are, your child may experience grief because of a lost relationship. Remember that God is grafting together a new and beautiful family right now. But healing takes time. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at parentingtodaysteens.org. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Joining me now, our friend Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find all the headlines we're discussing today at mnnonline.org. Ruth, welcome back. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So we understand that there was this massive fire at a refugee camp in Greece, and now uh, they are in the process of rebuilding. Talk talk with us about what's happening there. Well, this is pretty messy. Um, I think anytime you're dealing with a massive population of refugees, it's going to be messy. But this is just kind of par for the course. And you know, I wish I could say this the situation was getting better. Um, on September 9th, uh, we're going to call it arson. Um, there were a number of fires set in the refugee camp on the island of Lesbos or Lesbos in Greece. That is where Greece was putting a lot of the refugees. Um, after all was said and done with the fires, about 12,000 people had to be rehoused. The camp itself has been burned to the ground. Uh, so anything that these refugees had in their tents is gone. That's blankets, mattresses, uh, you know, cooking items, clothing, all of that is gone. And uh, obviously they have nowhere to go because this camp was on lockdown due to COVID-19. Um, and so Greece has had to come up with another plan to rehouse 12,000 people. When you really think about the original situation, Moria was uh, about the size of a super Walmart uh, and its parking lot. And so it was really only intended to house 3,000 people, but they had 12,000 people in that space. So it was already really overcrowded. People were very upset uh, about the conditions in which they found themselves. Um, just really substandard uh, kinds of things for sanitation, um, supplies for the people like food and water. That really wasn't uh, uh, enough for people. And tensions were very high. You know, refugees are asking for more support, and the people in Greece are kind of resenting that uh, just because they have their own crisis going on. It's very similar to the situation in Lebanon, um, where you had ongoing economic crises, then you had another crisis, and then on top of that, you have a refugee population that's roughly a third of the population of the country now. And so within the, the, the camp itself, you have tensions because the refugees are feeling like they've been forgotten and ignored. Um, and so six Afghan refugees actually set fires to kind of draw attention to that, and it got out of control. Um, they have been arrested, but meanwhile, now you have to deal with this other problem. So Greece has started building a new camp, and they've kind of started moving people over there to try to make sure that 
people have a place to go. But this new camp was set up in such a hurried manner that there's really no infrastructure there. So if they thought infrastructure was bad in Moria, this new camp is almost as bad. Um, there's no plan for sanitation. The networks for distribution for food and water haven't been set up yet. So people are just getting by on maybe a couple of bottles of water uh, a day, um, very little food, and there's no sanitation. So, you know, when people have to do what people have to do, there's no place to do that safely. And so now you have sanitation issues. Um, what we're hearing is that Greece is trying to, uh, you know, address these problems, but it's it's a massive movement in a very short period of time. A lot of our partners are trying to deal with this, um, just trying to come alongside to help where they can. Um, one of our partners is Teach Beyond, and they were running refugee schools in the camps. Uh, but because of a lot of the issues that uh, took place with some of the security problems and then COVID, uh, they haven't been able to be in the classrooms since, I think, March is what they were saying. Um, and they just started up new classes again uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, in Moria, and then it burned down. So they're kind of in a in a situation where they're trying to figure out where they can be helpful, where they're going to be allowed to work um, and uh, and actually just be hands and feet of Christ in a very difficult situation. So be praying for the ministries that are in there because it's a it's a tough situation. So this highlights again the refugee crisis around the world. The 12,000 people who were originally in um, the Moria camp come from 70 countries. Um, they were packed into a space, as Ruth said, the footprint of a super Walmart. So just think about that for just a moment with um, with inadequate inadequate infrastructure. They're now being moved into a new camp. It is 10 times the size of the old camp, but it has no infrastructure at all. And so um, this is a this is a time uh, of refugee crisis around the world that is um, certainly unprecedented in our lifetimes. And we here in the United States of America, you know, really, really not doing our part, um, but need to be praying for what is happening around the world in relationship to these people and these people groups. All right, Ruth and I are going to take a very, very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the third wave of locust swarms in Kenya. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. You say come to the All right, rejoining my conversation now with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find everything we're talking about today at mnnonline.org. Ruth, another wave of locust swarms in Kenya. My goodness. Yeah, you know, when, when I was talking to our our the inter person I interviewed, uh, who is a, a country director in Kenya for one of our ministry partners, FMI, and he started talking about the locust issue, I thought, you know, this is kind of old news because we covered the earlier locust swarms in February and again in, in the spring. And so I thought, you know, pretty much uh, with everything we had been seeing with efforts to control the populations and things that it, it was under control. And what he's saying is all those desert locusts that have come through Kenya started laying eggs. I mean, we 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 know that, but we didn't think that this was still a thing, I think, as as other crises began to take uh, precedence in, in terms of where our attention was focused. When you consider um, 
how big this swarm was, the second swarm, first or second swarm, then you can see how a third swarm would be even more devastating to the breadbasket of of Africa. Um, this was Kenya is is a lush area where you have a lot of opportunity for agriculture, but they've already endured two swarms. So a third one is going to be even more difficult. Um, you're talking about possibilities of uh, new reinfestation in places like Ethiopia, Somalia, Uganda, and Yemen, at which none of which can afford uh, a food crisis like this. So, you know, as we're looking at the, the situation here, um, ministries are going to have to pivot a bit in order to respond to what's coming. Um, you know, and our partners, FMI specifically, um, have been talking about how they've had to kind of adjust where um, what what they're doing with some of the funds because of COVID-19. Uh, some of the church planters and church pastors have been unable to do the work that they were doing previously, which ultimately begins to affect how much ministry they can do. If they're busy trying to make sure that their families are fed, then they don't have time to be focusing on ministry. And so FMI comes alongside and tries to walk with these church planners and pastors in the network to make sure that they have time to focus on what what they are being tasked to do. Um, and this situation means that, again, a ministry is going to have to pivot a little bit and figure out how to come alongside these these uh, church planners and, and their communities as well. Um, one of the big things that they're talking about is sustainable farming. How do we come up with a way to, to encourage them to do sustainable agriculture in a time where you have a pest like locust. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I want to get this China story in as well, Ruth. You know, we, we're aware that there has been, you know, serious flooding here in the United States, in Louisiana and Alabama and Florida related to hurricanes. We're aware, uh, you know, the West Coast of the United States dealing with really um, horrific fires and then potentially the landslides that will follow. I I will admit to you, I didn't even know there were once in a century floods in China affecting 70 million people. Talk with us about um, how believers in China are responding and what kind of support they need. Well, I mean, if you can just imagine the Yangtze River uh, that runs through, it's the longest river in Asia. And it was at flooding stage. It was threatening the Three Gorges Dam, which is, you know, one of the biggest dams in China. Um, and and we're, we were talking about the possibility of catastrophic failure. So that is what China was facing. The flooding that was taking place obviously hit all of the, the surrounding areas by the, the riverbanks. And there were a lot of churches that were were hit. Um, our partner, uh, Bibles for China, is connected to a large network of churches within the country. And they were starting to hear uh, just the damage reports, you know, that you would expect to hear when you, you have areas that are just dealing with widespread flooding. So the churches were flooding, uh, facilities needed to be repaired, pews were damaged, chairs were damaged, Bibles were damaged in the in the floods. You can fix stuff like chairs and, and pews, but Bibles are a little bit different because they're made of paper. They're, the damage is going to be uh, significant uh, within that, that particular need. Um, and even though Bibles are 
available in China. They're not always accessible. And sometimes they're more expensive than rural Christians can afford to to um, to replace. So Bibles for China is coming alongside and saying, hey, you know, for the partners that have contacted us, we are going to do what we can to replace those Bibles. Um, you know, and, and Bibles for China has always been about getting the word of God into people's hands. They focus on rural China just because people who love it, live in rural areas just they're they're dealing with a higher degree of poverty, uh, a little bit more restrictive in terms of being able to travel to places, the city centers where they might be able to purchase Bibles. And again, we're talking about expense. When you're talking maybe a fifth of your income for the month going to a Bible, not everybody can afford that. So Bibles for China is coming alongside and they're just saying, hey, pray with us as we figure out how to make this happen. And obviously when when they're having to replace Bibles that they've they've already uh, provided, it's going to be an expense. But you know, you're talking five bucks a Bible gets it into the hands of a believer in China, Bibles for China. All right. And then this last story, this is really, really fun. Read for missions. It's a sunlight, um, S-O-N, sunlight read-a-thon. I am looking at it right now. Um, And so tell us about this. This is really, this is great. It's great fun. It's something that we already do um, in terms of reading the scriptures. And yet it is really producing a way for ministries, particularly in India, to advance the gospel. Talk with us about this. It's really creative and it's really fun. Yeah. Um, well, by Mission India is the ministry that we're, we're talking about here. Uh, they're partnering with the Sunlight Christian Homeschool Curriculum Company um, for this readathon. Now, one thing that Mission India does really well is children's Bible clubs, and it only costs $24 uh, to really support a kid to go through a year-long Bible club. And how they do that, they make that money stretch and it works. And they are able to introduce kids to not only the gospel, but also so many other benefits of being able to uh, be literate and and to have um, a lot of, of coping tools uh, in worldview and in, when they go through these children's Bible clubs. Um, the Sunlight Homeschooling Curriculum hosts an annual readathon. And they're partnering with Mission India to provide, to raise some money. So the hope is that Mission India is going to raise like $100,000 and that Sunlight Christian Homeschool Curriculum is going to match whatever Mission India raises. So for every dollar fundraised by um, sponsoring a book, uh, that's going to be matched by the Sunlight uh, uh, Homeschool Curriculum Company. Um this is just it, it's a standard readathon. So if you've done a readathon before, you know that you go out and uh, you commit to reading a certain number of books or hours or pages, and then you get people to uh, sponsor you per book, hour or page. What's really cool about this is non-readers can also participate in this. They figured out how to, to make that work. Um, you can either have a, an adult read to you and uh, still get sponsored for those pages that you that you're going to be reading. Or you can listen to audiobooks and count that as well. Um, so all those details are at the website, and we've got the links at uh, in our article at missionnews.org. And I would really encourage people to do this because this is a fun way to not only engage kids here at home um, in, in an activity that they need to do, which is reading, but also teaching them that they can also be part of the Great Commission, that they have a place in the story. And I think this is a wonderful invitation. Okay, I just learned something. I mean, I learn something every time we talk, but I just learned that I can just go to missionnews.org. 
I've been giving the old website URL, and I don't need to. This one's much easier, missionnews.org. Well, look at that. <laughs> How long has that been a thing? How long have I been missing out on that? Uh, maybe four years. Oh, my goodness. See, at some point, Ruth, you have to say, Carmen, come on, come on, get on board. Pay attention, girl. Okay, the Kids <laughs> Readathon, Supporting Kids in India. I just really, I love that. It's something that... Um, that kids and teenagers and older adults, like everybody can get in on this. It's really, it's not age limited. So go ahead and jump in. Really, really fun. The Readathon supporting uh, Mission India. Check it out at missionnews.org. Um, all kinds of really great articles there that we don't have time to talk about today. Will politics and the pandemic reshape ministry in China? That's a good question. Three tips for sharing your faith, on and on and on. The opportunities um, for you to read what's happening with our brothers and sisters around the world and find ways that you can pray and participate, uh, always available. So, Ruth Kramer, thank you so much, as always, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We really appreciate it. We'll be right back. All right, so when we... um, When we think about where we are in the Word, let me just ask you again, where in the Word are you today? I am in Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. That's Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Let me encourage you to consider the if at the very beginning of that passage. If you have been raised with Christ. Well, if you have been raised with Christ, then you're going to live differently because you're going to be different. So there's an if and a then at the beginning of this passage. I want to encourage you to consider the if-then at the opening of Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. Well, if then you have been raised with Christ, then you are different. You are fundamentally different. Christians seek different things than people of the world seek. We have a different mindset. Set your minds on things that are above and all the things of the earth. We, we live differently. And we have a different relationship with death because we've already been there and done that. If we've been raised with Christ, then that means we've already died with him. So let me just affirm to you today as a Christian, you're already dead. There's nothing else the world can do to you. You have been raised with Christ. Set your mind on that today and then go tell the world the good news of the gospel. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.